Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Growth League. I am Diana Kander, a Midwestern mom of two and keynote speaker. And like you, I feel the call to grow. To get us inspired for the week, every Monday, I seek out the most remarkable and curious women leaders and uncover their rule for growth. This week's rule from Jen Dudek is embrace your spikiness. This episode is brought to you by Influence & Co. To find out how Influence & Co. can help you create relevant content, get more leads, improve your website's SEO, and drive exposure for your brand, go to influenceandco.com slash growth. Jen Dudek is Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer at Red Hat, a 20,000-person organization with 95 offices in 35 different countries. Before joining Red Hat, she spent more than 20 years working with Cisco Systems, most recently as the Vice President of the Transformation Office. Jen has two sons and a dog that she feels is her third child, and she loves serial killer shows. <laughs> Please welcome Jen Dudek. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, Jen, one of the most interesting things that I heard about you early on is that you have been working from home for over 20 years. Yeah, crazy. I've been I've been in my home office for just about 20 years. <laughs> Never leaving, Diana. Always here in my home never, office. I haven't left in 20 years. <laughs> and and this hasn't stopped you from growing your career, obviously. So, what do you think is the reason that you've been able to be so successful as so many of us find ourselves in our own home offices these days? It's such a great question. I think for me, working from my home office, it's allowed me to have balance in my life. I can't be successful in my career if I'm not able to balance my life. And so having the flexibility of being able to work from home has allowed me to point my attention towards where it needs to be at any given time, whether that's personal or, or work. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing is that it, I never felt like I had to make trade-offs. And ultimately those trade-offs, I do think impact our careers because they put an, an unsustainable tension on ourselves in terms of being able to grow and thrive in our careers when we're feeling like we're constantly making trade-offs with our lives. And working from home the last 20 years, I've been far better able to balance that. Oftentimes, when I hear people talk about the importance of balance, it stems from a moment in their lives when they were off balance. So is there something that triggered this kind of shift for you? Yeah. So as many folks know about me, I have two sons, 19 and 17. My 19-year-old son is on the autism spectrum. He was diagnosed when he was in kindergarten. And you know, one thing I observe is that we've come such a long ways in terms of understanding neurology and neurodiversity and how we support individuals who are on the spectrum. But when my son James started that journey, it wasn't where it is today. There was far less understanding. There was far less resources. And I remember coming home 
after seeing him in his circle time in kindergarten where he was swaying and going boom, boom, and like, oh, there's a tick. I had never noticed it before. Um, I came home and I cried. I sobbed because I was overwhelmed. And what the heck would that mean um, in terms of not just him, but me, like, you know, personally, me and my career. And and it was an inflection point, as you said, Diana, where I pretty quickly had to decide what really matters in this life. And I will never compromise my family for anything. And so over the next probably five to 10 years, there were moments in my career that I, I had to say, I cannot give with Cisco, Cisco 140% because my kid needs it. He had at some points, you know, five different interventions a week, whether it was occupational therapy, neurotherapy, social skills training. Um, so I think that was a point, Diana, where it was a really, a really swift and intense lesson and learning around what really matters in this world. But the beautiful thing is, I came out on the other side just as successful career-wise because I grew and, and having that balance. And I look where I am now and, and I'm really thankful I was able to do what was right for my son and still be okay in my career. Walking into that decision, were you an ambitious go-getter who, you know, ha had grand visions of what could be? Was it a hard decision? It was, I will tell you. Um, and I came from a graduate program, an MBA program, where I certainly thought I was better than 99% of the employees out in the, in, the, in the work environment at that age of my career. And I've learned a lot since then. So it was incredibly hard. Um, it was incredibly hard to know I was making that choice because I was nothing if not ambitious in that point in my career. And I, and I was very focused. One of the things I've learned in my own growth is if, if you equate career with progression in terms of grade or title or money, like it, it's, it's not a winning long-term game at all. So yes, I was very ambitious. I was very focused on when I would get to that next level and knowing and thinking that doing what was right for my son might set that back. I'm not going to lie, probably caused me at some points to think, you know, what, what trade off am I making? Um, and I'm lucky I had I had a partner, a husband who also was willing to make those trade offs. So we were in it together. But it was hard. I'm not going to lie, because you think, am I going to look back in five or 10 years and, and, and say I missed opportunities? But you cannot think that way. You have to think about what you're what is important in the universe, and the world for you and your family and your friends at that moment in time. I have to ask, as somebody who came out of school very ambitious and very hungry, there's usually like a humbling moment early in your career very quickly. So did you have something like that? Oh, indeed, I did. <laughs> Affectionately known as the poster story. Point one, I was coming out of grad school. And again, as I said, like, you weren't going to mess with me because I would be CEO in the next five or 10 years. I was conditioned for that. And I go to a plant that was about 20, 30 miles south of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, where I was located. It was a tire cord manufacturing plant. And my first assignment from my plant manager that I, that I worked for was that I was going to run this performance incentive program. I was in, responsible for this program. Well, one of the things that that included was I had to hang up the tracking posters. <laughs> like there were these posters we had visibly positioned in the plants that would show how we were doing on our goals. You would have thought they cut off my right hand. Like I was <laughs> just indignant and beside myself. I probably called my mother at least 10 times. How dare they, you know, how, how dare they make me do this? This is this is beneath me. Um, here's what I learned. One is never underestimate opportunity. 
And it turns out that this program was actually the brainchild of one of the presidents of our division who went on to be the CEO of a company. And that was a relationship I formed with that individual that was hugely beneficial for my career. And the program was fun and I learned a lot. So it taught me a lot about humility. There's no job too big or small. And I say that sincerely. You always start with what can I do? How can I help? And if you don't start with that orientation, you will never be successful in work or life. But yeah, it was a it was definitely a learning experience around, you know, how we think about ourselves in context of of the roles we're doing and the 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 purpose that we're given. Does somebody start out their career thinking, I want to be the chief people officer one day? I mean, maybe you just want to be the CEO one day, but how does that possibility ever enter your thinking? It's a great question. And did Jen Dudek ever even think that? Um, Because indeed, I did not. (laughs) And then go figure. um, I was asked, would I like to talk to my boss about this role that was that was at Red Hat? What I personally have experienced in my career, what I've learned is obviously, I'd like to see my career growing in terms of my scope of responsibility. And let's be real, like anyone that says, hey, what you get paid doesn't matter. I'm like, okay, you don't live in the real world. Um, <laughs> and so, so I'm never going to be that person that's like, you shouldn't worry about what you make in a career, because there, there, it does have an impact on our lives. So setting that all as foundational, Diana, I also have learned, like, I, I try to think about what's that next adventure in front of me. Because I can't plan, like if I set out a goal for myself that said, I want to be a CPO by such and such age, A, it probably wouldn't happen. And B, it would probably limit me. I'd be thinking too much about how do I get there. Most of my opportunities career-wise have been opportunistic. And some of the best opportunities I've had, I would never have envisioned I could be doing what I was doing. I just, I just took a chance. And so, no, I did not plan to be a CPO. But when the, when a colleague said to me, hey, Red Hat's going to be looking for a CPO. Would you talk to the CEO? I was like, well, hey, what the heck? And look where I am. And I've, that's been the best year of my career thus far. So I, I think it is something that I don't know that I aspire to. But what I'd suggest to anyone that is setting their career goals is set your goals based on what makes you happy, what energizes you. And yes, you want to see yourself moving forward. No one wants to move backwards. But being too prescriptive around what you have to get to I promise will mean you will miss amazing opportunities. Yeah, I love this idea of being opportunistic instead of being a planner. I wonder if you, you know, were to put a strategy or a three point plan behind that. What does that look like? Here's what it looks like for me. One, you know what you're good at. You know those places where when when you show up, people are like, wow, like she is going to help. Like this is going to be, oh, she, this is who we need. Know what you're good at too. You know what energizes you. Like you, it always has to start with, this is the work that I lean into that I look for. I've said to, I've said to many people, including my husband, he's like, how are you always so happy when you're like, <laughs> you're never like complaining about work. I'm like, because I always have chosen as best I can, not always, always. There have been times it hasn't been this way. But I go to those things that energize me. So know what you're good at. Know what energizes you. And then understand your parameters to my previous comments around just my life. Understand your parameters for your life. So now when that next opportunity comes, I can ask myself, <laughs> is it something I think I'm, I, I'm good at? And I want to do it. Like I don't dread the thought of every day getting up. I'm like, oh, like that's the last thing I want to do. And then I understand the trade-off and the parameters for my personal, with my family and my, my community, and it fits. It will fit. And are you waiting for those opportunities to come to you? 
And the last person you're going to see at like a networking lunch. <laughs> like, like you say networking lunch to Jen Dudek. I'm like, oh, like I get hives like, oh, um, you can be networked. Networks are what lead to opportunities. Right. So the broader my network, someone calls me and say, Jen, I know you're good at this. Would you be interested in this? And then be aware and, and we can be aware of what's going on. And, and what I love about, you know, what you talk to folks about, Diana, is being curious, <laughs> We can be curious to say, wow, I see that the company that I work for is trying to address this. It's something I'm passionate about. What could I do? What could I do that could contribute to that? And then you do have to be courageous because it is a risk. It is a risk to say, I'm going to go and put my hand up for something that is probably not what I planned. So, you know, courage, build those networks, be curious about what the opportunities could be. It's time for a break. I know this is technically an ad break, but our partners at Calm want you to focus on yourself for just a moment. Take a deep breath and let it out. Relax wherever you're holding your tension. It's important to tune in and recenter. And Calm can help. The Growth League is partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way that you feel. You can reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improved focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. There's even a new daily movement session designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. If you go to calm.com growth, you'll get a special offer for 40% off a Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. There's even masterminds from some of the greatest teachers in the country on all kinds of topics like creativity and writing that I've really been getting into. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer for 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash growth. Go to calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash growth for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash growth. Well, I'm curious, has there ever been a day that you had to recover from has there ever been a setback at work where things didn't exactly go according to plan oh yes and that would be called the when jen failed miserably <laughs> like, um i took a job that i thought was a great idea lesson learned again i was curious i'm like oh that could be cool um wasn't clear in the outcomes of the role wasn't actually clear what the role even was <laughs> so there was you probably want a little bit of definition when you're kind of leaning into these new opportunities i didn't have that but that doesn't matter I failed. I failed within six months. And so I went to my close colleague slash boss who I'd worked with many times and said, hey, help, help. I, you know, I raised the flag like I need help. Beautiful thing. Again, you build relationships. She's and she knew what I could do. She's like, I'm going to bring you back. But here's a lesson I learned, Diana. I, again, still being slightly arrogant and ambitious when it came time to performance reviews and I was told that I would be given an average for the year, I was beside myself. Like, how how could they possibly like I had never been anything except for the top, top 10 percent of you know performance. And my boss, my new boss set me straight and she said, you know, you need to get over yourself. It didn't go well. Acknowledge that. You know, don't try and you know pretend like it did. 
yes, you're going to have to rebuild your credibility. And again, she had such confidence in me. It was a gift. She's like, I know you will a year from now. You'll be great. But it is what it is. Get over it. And so that was a moment that it taught me a lot about, you know, we will fail sometimes. What the difference is when you fail is how you recover. Do you recover with humility? Do you recover with grace? Do you recover still with an energy that you can get back to that same you know, level that of, of passion and inspiration and energy that you were at? That's what will differentiate. I often tell people too, is find something when you're feeling really that you've got a lack of confidence, because these things are confidence crushing sometimes. Find that thing you can do well. Again, and if you're willing to do big or small, just to you know, add value, find that thing you can do well to add value, big or small. Because guess what? That also starts to get your confidence back. We get more and more confident the more we do things well. As the chief people officer, how do you want the people in your organization to think about their careers? Careers are steps. Careers are steps that go in many different directions. And sometimes that next step may not seem intuitive. It may not seem logical. And often it's not linear. So what I hope our our associates at Red Hat, when they think about careers, one, they know their career is not a ladder. We talk about career ladders. Not a ladder. Because guess what? If it's a ladder, that means someone inherently always has to be at the bottom of the ladder. Think of how demotivating that is. You are at step one of 100. Someday you'll get to 10. So it's not a ladder. It's not linear. It's steps is the the first thing I'd ask our associates to really think about. The second is what I said is, is, is like, look for opportunity. Think about your strengths and look for opportunity. And then not, not to give up. There are so many moments where we can take one point in time, when I think back to when I failed, if I took that point in time as a reflection for what my career would forever be, I might have said, I'm out, like, I'm not going to be in human resources anymore. Um, and I wouldn't have been a chief people officer. So um, you got to play the long game, but you can't let one setback get you down and think that you can't, you can't still get where you want to go. But it's going to be a series of steps. And you got to be really creative about what that next step might be. And then just give value, bring value in everything we do. If your career is not a ladder, what what is it? I think of it a little bit like a windy path or a river, because the, the reason I love a river analogy is one, rivers are generally not linear. Some of them are more, but rivers, you know, often have different currents at any given time. And if I think of my own career as a river, there are times when it was moving pretty slow and that was a good thing. And there were times that it was like when I was years ago on a trip to Costa Rica with my family and I actually did fall off the raft. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I kept thinking to myself, eyes open, mouth shut, eyes open, mouth shut. That's what you're supposed to do. And feet first. I got the feet first, the eyes open. I didn't get the mouth shut. Part. <laughs> um, but that was a moment, you know, when I think about it, like there have been moments in my career where it's felt like I was in that river, <laughs> that cat five river in, in Costa Rica with the water just flowing like right at me. So it's probably a river. It's going to be a little windy. It's going to have a different current at different times. But you know what? That's why we go on the ride. Is there any advice that you've received that you haven't been able to let go of? Like something that's still circling around in your head many years later, even when you're in this senior executive position? I spent many years of my career trying to conform to this perception of what an executive, I'm using air quotes, what an executive is like. What and how many, you know, how an executive talks, how an executive shows up, how an executive interacts with others. 
And I had a, another, a, a, a new boss who really said to me, like, you need to embrace your spikiness. Like, don't run away from those things that make me quirky and unique and different. Figure out how I point them. I, I joke, they're my superpowers. How do you point your superpowers towards good? So that was one of the best, I think, pieces of advice I've received. And it was a pretty late point in my career, um, like kind of pre-executive level, because I'd been told for many years that somehow I didn't fit the model of what an executive is supposed to be. And then I had this boss. He said, I don't need you to be that because that's boring. He's like, I need you to be your unique, spiky, spiky self. But just understand, though, how you apply that to help to make things better and to help lead a team and to help do the things that I do. Do you think that's good advice for even young associates? The only path we can take is to be authentic. Because guess what? It's not sustainable not to be like I tried to do that for however many years and it was tiring and like you can't. So you do have to be authentic. But there's a catch because sometimes people interpret being authentic means I say whatever I want and I'm rude and, and I just, you know, being authentic for me means I understand what is unique and special about me that I can bring to others and I apply it in a positive way. Very powerful. I'd love to do the speed round with you. Okay. Short, shorter questions. Okay. If you wrote a professional development book on any subject, what would it be about? I think it would be about just how we can be authentic in our careers. I don't know that we really spend enough time talking about what that actually means and how people can actually lean into that and, and be successful. What is something that you strongly believed in your 20s that you feel completely indifferent about or even opposite about now? I do think in my 20s, I strongly believed that my my career would be a very linear and, and kind of ladder like situation. And I I know that absolutely not to be true now. It is this river that flows in the direction it's going to flow fast and slow. And the goal is to figure out how you a stay on the boat and b how do you capitalize on that and take advantage of opportunities? I think. Of all the people that I've seen stay on the ladder, you know, if you ask them now, 20 years later, they're like, it's OK. You know, <laughs> it pays the bills. Translate boring. <laughs> <laughs> what is a strongly held belief that you have that you think would make for a fun debate at a dinner party? That everyone can be taught pretty much anything. I think that would make for an excellent debate because I more and more believe there are very few talents. And like everything that we assume is a talent is actually a skill set. And if you can just learn how to learn, boy, there's nothing to stop you. Jen, I think I, I have a suggestion for a rule today, maybe a new Jenism. What do you think about embrace your spikiness? I love it. Anything you would add to that, like some some final words of wisdom of how people can embrace their spikiness and what it can do for them? Yeah, I believe this truly. We are all unique and special human beings. And it comes back to where I started with having my son on the autism spectrum. And we and I would say to him, James, you have gifts that 99% of the population will never be able to do because he just has this crazy spikiness. And it's a miracle. And yes, there are these challenges that 99% of the population won't have to go through. Um, so for me, yes, embrace your spikiness, because guess what? It's a gift. And we all have these truly amazing talents. If we can look for them, we all have spikiness. 
You just have to look for it. And then I just would add to that, you know, life is short. Life is short and much of it we cannot control. So we need to learn to lean into those things that that we love and are passionate about and our spikiness and frankly, have fun, Diana. Like, seriously, there is a lot in life that is just not fun. So when I can find fun in something and make fun, you know, in an appropriate way, of course. But so, yeah, lean into your spikiness. Everyone has it. Everyone has this amazingness in them. And we all deserve to have some fun in life. Not all of life is fun, but we all deserve to have some fun in what we do. Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. I love this idea of embracing your spikiness and to help me chat about it is one of the producers of the show, Taylor Williamson. Taylor, welcome. Hi, Diana. Hi. What do you think about the idea and not shying away from what makes you unique? I completely agree. However, I think my question is how to identify what makes you unique. Identifying your spikiness, because I know Jen was able to identify hers because it was something that she was maybe criticized for or was just told to tone it down. And I think those are the things that really make people special. When you're told to be smaller, to be quieter, those are really the things that you should lean into. And and I'm sure that's not the only way to identify your spikiness. So I'm wondering if you have any ideas of other ways. I think it's like what you really love about yourself and also like what makes you different and unique i know that i went through a period where i admired so many different keynote speakers and i was kind of down on myself for the fact that i'm not a magician or a drummer you know i can't do some of the things that i just love about other people and when i was able to take a step back and say okay but what is it that i do that i don't see anybody else doing and for me it's like i'm goofy i have this sense of humor that is is fun and whimsical. And so how do I put more of that out into the world? And for me, it made doing my work a lot more fun, but it, it got a much more welcome result back. Yeah, I like that idea of injecting what makes you unique into your everyday life and especially your work, because that's just going to make your work stand out more. And I think on a personal level, I, you know, know what makes me tailor and different from the other people in my life. But when it comes to the office, I'm still trying to figure that out. But it helps to be around people who are there to foster your growth and bring those qualities that maybe you aren't able to see yourself out. Yeah. And I think it's just asking the question that a lot of people don't ask. Instead, they say, how do I fit in? How do I hold up to this image that I think I should be, which ends up squashing your spikiness, you know, and instead saying, what is it that makes me great? And how do I make sure I make room for some of that, even at work? Yes, I think everyone should be asking themselves that question. And I hope our listeners can go into their week or their weekend, whatever it whatever they're embarking on asking themselves that question and giving themselves a mental high five for it. Thank you again to Influence & Co. for sponsoring this show. If you're having trouble scaling your content marketing efforts to see results, I highly recommend having a strategy call with Influence & Co. It's one of the only agencies that I've found that will handle your on-site content needs and your PR. Just visit influenceandco.com growth to learn more. And with promo code growth, our listeners can access 
their course for social media content for 50% off. That's it for this week's episode of the Growth League. Please make sure that you're subscribed to get all the future episodes and leave us a review to let us know how you're liking the show. I am Diana Kander, wishing you an amazing growth-filled week. The Growth League is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Edie Allard, Adesua Agbanile, and Taylor Williamson. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our editor is Emily Rudder.